Well, good morning. My name is Jeff, and I am one of the shepherds here, and we are picking up John 17. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and if, you have, if you're new, we've been giving out uh, journals of John. It's basically the book of John with blank pages on the side so you can take notes. If you don't have one of those, see one of, uh, one of our ushers out at the side, and they'll get you one. But otherwise, we are in John 17. And we're in the third part of it. In essence, this chapter is divided into kind of three sections. The first part of Jesus' prayer, he prays mostly for himself to the Father. And then the big chunk in the middle is where he prays for the disciples specifically. And the message that he's given them and how they are to go forward. And he, he prays to the Father for them. And then finally, in this last little section that we just read, this section is where Jesus prays specifically for us. And so you're going to hear me say a, a couple of times, it's, it's this idea that as we look at it, and I'm going to read it one more time here in just a second, that, that very first verse, is that it, it stands out to stop and go, wait a minute, this isn't somebody in the past that he's talking about. He literally is talking about us. So if you look at it, it's verse 20, and he says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that's where we get to stop and go, hey, that's us. That this, this idea that he's praying for those who will believe through their word, that's us. Those of us who believe now, we're the ones that hear Jesus is talking about us, he's praying about us. And this is literally one that it stops out and it says, hey, this is us. So I, I've been debating whether to do this, but here it goes. Look, this is me right here. Hey, this is us. This is us right here in scripture. Jesus is stopping. He's just before he's about to be arrested. He's thinking about us. Hey. Hey, this is us. This is cool. This is really cool. That Jesus, before he's crucified, before he's arrested, he stops to pray about us. That, we could almost close in prayer right now. That's awesome. But here's the deal. When I was a kid, I lived in a house that uh, had hardwood floors, and they weren't really fancy hardwood floors. They were, they were decent, but as you walked on them, they squeaked. So my brother and I, we had learned that if we wore our footy pajamas, we could slide on our back, and you know, they're kind of soft pajamas, but then on the bottom, they have little sort of rubber feet, and so we could get the rubber feet to stick to the hardwood, whereas our pajamas pajamas would slide and so we would get on the hardwood floor on our back and we could push ourselves along with our feet and slide around and not make the hardwood creak like it would when you walked so we could slide around at night and get around the house without our parents knowing we were up one particular morning I heard my mom on the phone and I literally did just this I slid down the hallway went into the kitchen and slid underneath the dining room table because I could hear her on the phone. And as I slid down the hallway, she kind of changed her conversation of what she was talking about to where she started talking about me. 
And so I slid myself right under the table. And she started talking about how smart I was and what a handsome young boy I was and that, she, that I might even be her favorite. And I, I thought, this was awesome. This is wonderful. Now, years later, having kids of my own and knowing that none of that happens silently, nothing a child does happens without the parents knowing them, that, that my mom knew all along that I was sliding down the hall and coming into the kitchen. So she changed her conversation and she stopped and simply started to talk about me because she knew I was listening. That's what happens in this passage. Jesus isn't simply saying words because he knows one day we will hear them. He is talking to the Father. The person on the other end of the phone for Jesus is his Father. But he knows the disciples are listening. We have passages like Mark 135 where it says that Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark and he went up to a quiet place to pray. He was there alone. We don't know what he said. We don't know what he prayed. But in this particular passage, it is the longest prayer we have from Jesus. And it is recorded because he prayed it in front of them for them to hear. And one of the things he said is, hey, this is about you. I'm praying for you. That Jesus, before he was arrested and crucified, you were on his mind. And he prayed for you. That's a beautiful thought in and of itself, all by itself. That part where it just simply says, I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That those who will believe through their word. Now, what is he praying here? In verse 21, it says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Now, Darren talked about unity being a part of this chapter already, but he specifically hammers it home in the next three verses. In verse 21 and 22 and 23, he focuses on this unity. So we just read 21. Look at 22, that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. And then again in 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So this unity, he just starts hammering and he's going, the whole reason that I'm praying this prayer for them, this part is for unity, that you may become one. And this idea of unity then as it plays out becomes... Um, a little problematic. You see, we, we have all kinds of things that make us unified in the world. We are a part of associations. We're a part of clubs. We're a part of gangs. We're a part of fan being. Uh, we might be all fanboys of a particular someone. Um, but sports team, alma maters, USC, anybody from USC? UCLA? Yeah, see? We belong to things. Neither of those seem that impressive, but we belong to things. That's what we do. We have Elks Lodges. We have the Lions Club. We have the Eagles. We have the, what was Fred Flintstone's? The, 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 the Lodge of the Water Buffalo. Lodge of the Water Buffaloes. We do these things where we find something that we connect about and then we connect them over that. Now the challenge with us is that churches are not necessarily known for this, of how well, because typically what happens is we divide, right? 
we're known as having a difference of opinion on about baptism of whether you should be fully immersed or sprinkled or spit at. It's communion. Whether you take a wafer or you break off bread and then you wonder about germs and we all divide into different churches based on that. We get caught up about carpet. We get caught up about jello molds in our potlucks. There are things we divide about and here's Jesus praying and going, look, it's going to be a natural thing that you divide so instead I'm going to pray for unity. I, I have to tell that one joke. The, the story of the guy who is on the desert island, he got um, shipwrecked, he's stranded, he's the only guy out on the island for years and years and years. And he lives alone and he thinks no one's ever going to come find me. But one day he notices a ship on the horizon, they spot him, they come over and they send a little rowboat out to get him, they get him on the rowboat, they bring him back to the ship and he's hugging people, he's so excited to be found and everybody's going, this is awesome, how long were you there? I was there for years and years, I don't even remember anymore. And then the captain comes up to him and he's kind of got his binoculars and he's looking back at the island as they pull away and he says, well I'm looking and you've got three structures you built, what are those, what did you build? And he goes, well that first one there on the right, that's my house. And he's like, oh, awesome. And it looks big. That's nice. And he goes, the next one, what is that? And he goes, oh, that's my church. That's a church I go to. And he's like, well, what's the third one? And he's going, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> that's us, right? Jesus is saying, somehow you guys got to do this differently. And it's this idea that as we go into this, that the thing that is happening has already been said in this scripture. And I want, you to, I want you to see it again. So we're going to start over at verse 20. I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That everything we're about to talk about is unity and what draws us together is this word that has been passed down from the very beginning. From the disciples who passed it to the next generation, who passed it to the next generation, who passed it to the next generation, all the way to the generation that passed it to us. That word has been the unifying effect and it is quite simple what it is. It is just this. It is that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent by God to be an example and tell the story of the love of God. That simple message is so powerful that the disciples shared it with others and they said, wait, you're saying that God, the God of the universe loved me? Yes, and he sent down his Son to show and to tell and he rose again to show his power over death and sin and that, that God loves you. And people believed that because of their word and they told others who believed it because of their word who told others who believed it because of their word and it unifies us throughout the centuries, throughout all cultures. When I used to work for Hume Lake Christian Camps, I had an opportunity to go with a camp to launch a, a brand new youth camp down in Costa Rica. And literally the property we had to work with was just bare jungle. And the, the concept was we were not going to do it as Hume Lake Christian Camps. We wanted to come alongside the Costa Ricans and actually help them do their own camp. They were excited about it. They had a vision for it. They'd come up and seen Hume and they said, we want to do this down in Costa Rica. So I went down and I get down there and the, the first time is I get together with this group of people that have been praying about this, have a passion for it, and 
and I'm supposed to come in front of them and lead a devotion as we start the whole thing off. They speak Spanish, and I do not. And as I'm standing there, I'm like, oh, how, how do I even communicate? And then one of my buddies who um, lived down in Costa Rica says, no, I'm going to translate. You just say, say things. Keep your sentences short, but just say them. And so I'm like, all right. And so I started to share this message, the message about this gospel, about these words. And as I shared them, they went from just sitting there looking at me to suddenly smiling and going, yeah, like you're one of us. You believe what we believe? Yes, even in Costa Rica, all the barriers fell apart as soon as we identified that we were followers of Jesus Christ and we believed that God sent his son to die for us to cover our sins. I began to share that story that the reason we would build a camp was that this word would go forward in Costa Rica as well and they got pumped and excited that the reason was that this word would go forward. How many churches do you think there are in Fullerton? How about Brea? How about North Orange County? How about all of Orange County? How many churches do you think there are? 20. There is one. There is one church. There is one body of believers who believe this word and believe this truth that are scattered all over our city, that are meeting this morning, that some met last night, some will meet on Wednesday, and we'll divide about which service is best. Because that's what we do. But we don't divide over this issue. Over who Jesus is and why he came and who sent him and who loves us. That's the word we have and we could walk into any church in this city and that gospel will be being taught. And that means we have one church. This is the unifying nature of who we are. This is what Jesus prayed about. This is what's happening to this day. And this unity is meant to be observable. It's meant for the world to see. It's meant that that the world would hear about this story because that's exactly what Jesus says. In verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's three really key things. The first one is the unity. The second one is that the world may believe. And he's going to say it again in just a second, that the world may know. And then finally, what is it they know? That you have sent me. That as we look at those three things, it's that we would be unified so that the world would know that you have sent me. That's the whole premise as we wrap up this section of John 17, this whole part lays out, it's meant to be observable, it's meant to be passed on, and even the idea of the, as we talk about how we say who we are is the first evangelical free church of Fullerton, those are a lot of words, But that word evangelical is that that's the good news being spread. It defines who we are. And even as we talk about, well, we're also using shorter phrases like Fullerton Free. And if you've seen the the logo that goes with it, there's a thing called the M dash afterwards. In grammar, the M dash means we're saying one thing and then what follows next is important. And so we're going to interrupt the the train of thought so that you hear what happens next. So as we talk about Fullerton, Fullerton free, and then there's a dash. That dash says, what happens next are those who hear the word from us. 
That's a really cool thought, that if we were to pull a tape from this side of the building and carry it out that side of the building, there are those who've gone before us and have shared the word and the gospel and the good news so much that we could grab a hold of it and go, hey, this is us. Isn't this exciting? This is us. But then we also carry it forward and we pass it on to a generation that is not yet even born. And that that MDAS points to what's about to come. It's that this message continues on. And this is the unity of believers. That we're all built around this same truth. And it carries forward. In verse, well, let me say one more thing about that. The, the concept of when he says that it's, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He was praying about Christians who were in 100 AD, that were in 500 AD, that were in 1500 AD, that were in the 1900s, that are alive now, but also those that would be there in 2050. That this was future tense for Jesus, and we need to make sure we're thinking future tense for us as well. That this prayer, as he's praying it, isn't that it's just, or now it came to us, we can stop now. But rather there's a sentence that comes upon us to carry this gospel forward as well. Take a look at verse 24 though. Um, and let me, let me start with 23. That I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. There's a a section right in there that if you didn't catch it, I need you to listen again. And I'm going to focus on just the very last part of verse 23. That it says, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So we were with a group of people studying this passage earlier this week. And one of them later on texted me and says, hey, about that verse 23... It's, is he saying that the way the father loved Jesus, the father loves me the same way? Yes. That idea alone is worth the price of admission this morning. Which was free, so we should have charged you more. Here's the idea. That that concept, when you take that truth and say, wait a minute, when God so loved the world, we tend to think, well, there's Jesus and then God loves us. And yeah, that feels good that he loves us. No, he's saying that he loves us the way he loves his own son, Jesus. Because of what Jesus' death on the cross did, his covering comes on that, that he takes on his own son when he takes us on. We have the covering of his son and he loves us in the same way. That truth should change how we live today. To feel loved on that level. Now take a look at verse 24. That is, as, as it goes on, Jesus stops and says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. This idea that Jesus is praying and he's praying his desire. What his heart beats for. What he cares about. And he's praying for us. 
In fact, he's praying that he says, I desire that, that we would be with him. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. Now, a couple thoughts about this desire, this, this thought of what he's craving, what Jesus is craving right at that moment, what he's desiring. I, um, many of you know that my, uh, one of my daughters lost her husband recently. Uh, he passed away, and she's been living with us and all the kids, and just this last two weeks... We moved her back to Colorado. She wanted to be near her church family, near a lot of her friends. And so she decided to take her family back to Colorado. As a dad, that's really hard. But that kind of thing was something that she stopped and she had desires. On her anniversary with her husband, it came up just before we took her out there. For her anniversary, she's thinking about her anniversary and she's thinking, this is going to be one of the hardest days. I've lost my husband, who I love, and now our anniversary is coming up, and what am I supposed to do? Just sit in my bedroom and cry? I don't want to go out and have a nice dinner. This is really sad. So what she did was she chose, one of his dreams was to have a, a professional fly fishing guide just fish with him out in a river in Montana. He never got to do that. So she booked a guide and she went to Montana and took her fly rod and went and stood in the river on her anniversary so she could be at a place that he always wanted to be. And it rips my heart out. But she had a desire there. My wife was telling this story to um, one of you uh, and a gentleman by the name of Jack. Many of you probably know Jack. He's a widower. He's uh, 92. But as he heard this story, he says, oh, I know that feeling really well. I know that desire. I know what it means to, to long for and to crave for something like that. And he started to tell the story that he would go back and, and he missed his wife so much that he's driving around. He finds the house where they met, where they used to study together in seventh grade. And he'd park outside because there were memories of her there, of how they'd met. And he had the desire for that. He even had the courage to go up and knock on the door just to see who was living there. And he told the story and they invited him in so he could see the house. He got to go into the house. It was a retired preacher who owned the house. And so they sat down and for the next three hours, they talked about memories of his wife. This is desire. But both of those stories are desires for what was. That Jesus here is not desiring to go back. He's not wanting to go back to the time that he turned water into wine. I'd like to go see that. He's not talking about the time that he fed the 5,000. I'd like to see that. Some of you are hungry. You're going, yeah, especially that. That's not what he's doing. He's not looking to go back to the glory years. He's looking forward to the glory years. Jesus is saying, I desire that us, all of us, hey, this is us, us. He's saying, Lord, Father, I desire that they may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory unfold. Jesus is praying that we will be with him because he says, you don't even know yet how cool that is. How cool what is? Him. 
how cool Jesus is revealed in his glory. You see, everything we study here, everything we read here about Jesus walking the earth is about Jesus in human form. And he's going, I want them to see me as I am there in heaven, to be with me in my glory. Now, this is the thing, is that too often we'll have a friend come up and this happens all the time where somebody says, hey, have you seen that movie? And they wait for your answer. Because if you say, yeah, then they say, what did you think of it? If you say no, they're going, oh, it's so good, you got to see it. You ever had that? Ever done that? Have you read that book? No? Oh, it's so good, you got to get that book, you got to read that book. I've had friends stop and before we lived down here, they said, have you ever seen the pageant of the masters? And I'm like, no. And then my friend went on for almost an hour about the pageant of the masters. And I'm like, I don't need to go anymore. I've just like seen the whole thing right there. There's those times when you tell somebody, you find out somebody's never been to Yosemite and you go, oh, you're going to love it. There's this place where you come through the tunnel and is the, you come out the other side of the tunnel and there's the whole valley floor. How many of you have done that and seen that? All the rest of you, man, you got to see that. It's so cool. That's what we do about things that are worth sharing, worth telling. As we took my daughter back to Colorado, one of the things that she did is she said, hey, you guys, I I just want to put you up for a little bit just to say thank you for all that you've done. I'm going to send you to Telluride. And I'm like, what's Telluride? In fact, for the first week, I couldn't even say it right. It was Telluride. And he's like, no, it's Telluride. And I'm like, I don't care what it is until I got there. And it's a beautiful place God has made and is nestled in this spectacular valley. And there's a point where you get on these gondolas and they take you up to the ridge and then it drops you down to the town. And we're, Eugenie and I are on these gondolas and we're looking at it and the aspens are starting to turn gold and it's beautiful. And my daughter knew that we would be blown away by the beauty of Telluride. She desired that we see it. And she wanted us to be there. This is what Jesus is doing, is he's saying, I desire this for you, this thing that you can't even imagine. And he's not desiring to go back to the miracles and all the great things. He's desiring to look forward that those of us that are here now might one day be with him. This concept switches when we look at it and says, this is the unity, this word, that we would carry that same principle forward, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That it all starts to center on love. This whole story, this whole prayer, what he's praying about is, do you understand the love? Does that love flow through you? The part that unifies us is that we have one message. It's that God loves us and sent his son for us. That message should transform how we live each day. We are not people who are supposed to be about critical judgment of other people that we're supposed to be going out and catching everybody else in their sins and too often we as believers become known for what we're against than for what we're for Jesus not once prays for sin in this passage 
Because he's already paid the price. He prays for love, that we would have this message and we would take it forward, that that message of love would go forward. That's who we are as believers, and that's when the world sees how we love, that's when we end up pointing towards God. That's the message of the gospel. So this week, we got a letter, the church did, from a Cal State Fullerton student who when he first on his student visa started going to Cal State Fullerton, he had no money. He tried to get school loans. He couldn't get anything to come. He found himself with a place to live, a dorm room that was completely empty, and he didn't have anything. And every time he asked, nobody would help him. He was from an Islamic country, and as a Muslim, everybody kind of put their hand out and just said, yeah, no, we got nothing for you. Until he came and found out that this church gave away furniture for Cal State Fullerton students. And all of that furniture, when somebody gave him furniture for free, even though he was Muslim from a Christian church, it started to spin in his head. And this word that was handed down like we were talking about started to do a work in his life. And last February, he gave his life to Christ. He wrote the email to tell you that, to say thank you for loving me when no one else would. This message that Jesus hands down and says, be unified on this, that that Jesus loves us, that he was sent by the Father who loves us the same way he loves Jesus. He says, what I'd like you to do is go. Tell that world that I love them. That they would know by your unity of how you love each other, of how you live in this world, of how you tell your story, of how you became a Christian, that that love would transcend everything else that we divide about. And instead, it would be focused on the one thing that unifies us and makes us whole. Verse 26. I made known to them your name, the Father's name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. My favorite part of this is in verse 26. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. This is the idea that if we go back over here, Jesus started off with the disciples. He was sent from the Father, and then he sent the disciples. He knocks over a domino, which knocks over a domino, which knocks over a domino, which knocks over a domino, 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 all the way to me. And and Dorothy Vile, my Sunday school teacher, who taught the word to me, and my grandfather, who modeled it and living it out, and it knocked me over. And then I have had many people I've been able to share the gospel with and have knocked over additional dominoes, and those dominoes will continue to fall. But listen why. In verse 26, I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. That is, I am working with someone and I am sharing the gospel with them and I am just living my life in a godly way, in a way that exhibits Christ's love. That is not me pushing the domino over. He's here. He is here now and he says, and I will continue to make it known. 
Jesus is in our work. Jesus is in our efforts. Those that we are praying for, those that we are witnessing to, those that are, we were walking alongside, those we are loving, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, our friends, those are all individuals who are watching you right now. And they are noticing the love of God. Or they're not. This message is about the fact that Jesus himself is praying for us. All of us. And he says, hey, you, you, you. I'm not only praying for you, I'm with you. And I will continue to be with you until I get you to be with me. And he desires nothing more than that. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am so encouraged by this passage. Selfishly, I just love it that you might think of me. The fact that you've said it in so many other ways, uh, sometimes I'm a little stubborn and I love to just have it laid out simply. That you stopped and prayed to your father about me and about everyone else in this room. But Lord, we as a church, we as individuals are left here now to be part of those dominoes that you use to go forward. Lord, may you find us faithful this week to live out our life echoing the love that you showed us. And Lord, may we feel the desire you had for us simply being with you and to know you. Lord, may the world know that you have been sent by your Father. Lord, allow us to be the ones to point the way. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.